Hey guys, today we are going to ramble and chat. We're going to lead with the bait, the clickbait of marriage is not an idol. It's actually a teaching of Christianity. Today we're going to chat to the single people of what do we wish we had been told in our single life as Christians. The main thing that's been bothering us this last few days that we've been chatting about, we've been hot and bothered. Thank you for the aircon. Very cool. The... <laughs> The whole retort of marriage is an idol, children are an idol, family is an idol, you know, this, this use of, by Christian people, of this word idolatry. In the Old Testament, it's very clear that idolatry is punishable by death. Here you have a happy Christian guy who wants to get married. Oh, stone him to death. A happy Christian couple who wants to have children, stone them to death. That is the, the IQ, the computing power of someone who says marriage is an idol or family is an idol, children are an idol. It's actually a teaching of Christianity. In Genesis, Adam in the garden with God. He is with God bodily, physically, experientially, spiritually with God himself in the garden. God says, it's not good for Adam to be alone. I will make him a helpmeet. And so the first marriage, the first idol, is born by God. God made Eve for Adam. He made a helpmeet for Adam because it's not good for Adam to be alone. So, so many people are like, it's idolatry. We should want to be single for our lives and just serve God and be one with God. Adam was as one as you could get with God. He was without sin. He was with God in the cool of the day. They would go walking in the garden together and God made him a wife, a helpmeet and said, it's not good for man to be alone. Throughout scripture, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, Marriage is referred to as a part, a priority, a teaching. It is taught about a lot. It's taught about by Jesus himself. It's taught about by the apostles, uh, by the prophets, by the patriarchs. Marriage is an integral part of our Christian walk. So if God himself says, it's not good for man to be alone, I'll make him a helpmeet. And then go be fruitful and multiply. It's a command. <laughs> yeah, it's a command. Talking about family. And then we go to where Paul is talking about how our marriage between a man and a woman is a shadow, a, a model of our individual marriage to Christ. And so, you know, if you're against marriage and you think marriage is an idol, well, you're taking it up with Christ as well because Christ is our, our husband. Christ relates to us as a husband relates to a wife. And so it's a good thing to be married. It's a good thing to do marriage in a Christian way. And then further, we have teachings by the apostles saying, here's how to deal with your burning desire, your burning lust. If you are burning after a young lady and you're like, wow, she's really beautiful. I want to be one with her. Get married. Get married. Not, oh, that burning desire is idolatry. It's like, no, go and get married. Go get married. Then there's further teachings of, you know, if you want to be an elder or a deacon, you are married in a Christian way. Your children are raised in a Christian way. That is the qualifications for church leadership. And then to the older ladies, it's like teach the young ladies. This is a command to older ladies. Teach the younger ladies to love their husbands, <laughs> love their husbands, love their children. Well, that's idolatry. To love your husband is idolatry. To love your children is no, it's scripture. To love your husband is scripture. To love your children is scripture so that the word of God will not be blasphemed. That's a pretty serious. That's idolatry in a way is to blaspheme the word of God because you think something else or have been taught something else. Real idolatry is thinking that you can fulfill your desires outside of the ways that God has made for those desires to be fulfilled. 
oh, you really like this guy, you think he's hot, or you like this girl, you think she's hot, and you go have sex, that's idolatry. Because when God has said, here's how to fulfill your desires, and you go fulfill those desires in a way that are outside of his ways, that's idolatry. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's a shocking statistic, like something like 90% of Christian women have had sex outside of marriage. We should actually, do you think there is a statistic on this? Yeah. Let's look it up. Okay, we found some statistics. So over 80% of single, never married Christians have had sex outside of marriage before marriage. We'll link this article below. So that's idolatry. That's thinking that you can fulfill your desires outside of God's ways. If 86% of single Christians had instead gotten married, you'd have all these think pieces being like, this is idolatry, so many people are getting married. It's like, no, this is Christianity. So many people are getting married. For most people, in our age group, millennials and younger, it is assumed that you will just figure marriage out, that it's not something that's practically taught on. Yeah, we, we were kind of in the more charismatic churches growing up who were big on mission, huge on mission to the culture, outreach. We were in churches with tons of young single people. Yeah, the church that I was going to, it attracted young, hungry people mm-hmm. for the gospel. Our little young adult group that we had grew from like, 20 when it started to, I don't know, we may have hit 100 at some point. There were so many people. Yeah, and I was in a church with hundreds of of college-age singles. This idea, though, is we're on mission for God. We want to give our whole lives to the Lord. Either it's on purpose and ignorance. We're going to ignore this on purpose. Or they just don't care. Or, you know, perhaps marriage is bad for their mission or their ministry because single people are the engines of most of these missions and churches we went to a pretty big mega church both of us individually at separate points in our single life and they have a mission school at this church where there's like thousands of single christians there that are from ages 18 all the way up i mean anyone can go but the majority of people there are 18 to 25 would you say 18 to 30 i would say the majority are single though like 99 percent are single totally and i think most people are going there (laughs) thinking that they're going to meet a husband which Mm -hmm. i mean from the outside looking in that would be the perfect place to meet a spouse because like oh you love god you're on fire for god this would be the perfect place for a single person to go and meet there however most of the people that we know, everyone except for one couple that we know that went to that school, left, left single. single and disappointed. Mm-hmm. How can you have this many single people together in a Christian atmosphere and there not be the fruit of marriage? Yep. And that is down to teaching. Are you teaching people that marriage is Christianity? Marriage is a part of your mission, part of your purpose that you're going to miss out on a purpose, on a part of the Christian life if you do not get married. Because it's it's there, the desire is there to get married. Yeah. But because none of the leadership speak about it, because none of the parents are speaking about it, none of the culture is saying, hey, you guys should really get married. Here's how. Here's how we suggest. Here's how we're helping. Here's how we're setting it up for you to get married. Instead, it's like, oh, they'll figure it out. Or it's like kind of joking, like, oh, if like, it's hold hands for prayer, mm-hmm. squeeze the person's hand next to you if you like them and want to ask them out. And it's like, that's like kind of mocking. Mm-hmm. And it's not helpful. And then I was like asking you before we started this, why? Like, why? How can you have that many people and it not end up in marriage? Yeah. And you made such a good point because you said it's because it's an egalitarian Yeah, because we grew up egalitarian of my wife has a purpose, she has a mission, I have a purpose, I have a mission, 
And if we both serve God, our two missions are going to line up together. And it's so true. You know, I remember I that. <laughs> and that's just not true. That's not the teaching of Scripture. The teaching of Scripture is I have a mission. I have a purpose. And God will make for me a help me to fit for me who's going to come along and help me on my mission mm-hmm. and my purpose. And so you put a thousand egalitarian singles into a group together. And now they're like, well, will my mission meet up with yes. hers? And so often you'll get like very effeminate guys who will jump onto being the helpmeet of a more assertive masculine woman. Yeah. And that marriage is fine as long as it continues that way for the rest of their life where he's the helpmeet to her mission. Yeah, the polarities mm-hmm. stay the same. And then sometimes there'll be very feminine women who, who jump onto guys who are assertive and masculine and that will work well. And that's usually, I would say, the guys that are already in higher up leadership mm-hmm. positions. The status is already there. The, yeah, or the she's happy to join him on yeah. that but I think there's then a lot of anxiety and stuff that comes into those women of like, well, what is my mission? What am I supposed to be doing? It's like, help your husband. Yeah. <laughs> but instead, it's like, well, she needs to be a speaker. She needs to be a worship leader. She needs to be... What's your purpose? Yeah. And, and then the guy ends up wasting his energy and time trying to promote and push his wife into public ministry rather than just going hard at his own. And then the third option is probably like where we were. Well, I don't really see anyone who's got my exact mission or who I feel I could be happily a servant to their mission. Yeah. And so you just, you, you, you freak out. You're like, well, she's pretty, but I, I don't know. And God, is this it? Is this yeah, it? Is this it? <laughs> um, and so that teaching of egalitarianism is a huge hindrance to people understanding getting married. Cause we've looked back at our own single life mm-hmm. and you know, praise God. We, we did singleness well in that we never slept with anyone. Mm-hmm. We never like got ourselves into crazy unfortunate Unfortunate situations situations. so that's wonderful like on the outside it was like great like you did Mm -hmm. everything well but we were still 26 when we got married Mm -hmm. which i mean isn't ideal yeah so we did it well but we did it well in the wrong direction so we were we were on the direction of egalitarianism where She's going to have a mission. I'm going to have a mission. Mm-hmm. And we're going to our meet, missions we're going to meet at God. And like, praise God, at the time when we met, we felt like our missions yep. did align. Like, mm-hmm. oh, we met at a rubbish dump. So, like, we're both going to be missionaries together. Mm-hmm. You uh, like travel. I like travel. Perfect. perfect. You know, like, and praise God. Like, that's where, you know, we're not mocking this. We're, we were very sincere. Yeah, we're not mocking this at all. And I really feel like God used this. And that's Mm -hmm. like God can use all of these things. He's bigger than all of these things. That being said, what do we wish we had known then that we know now? I praise God that I had parents that encouraged or did not allow dating in high school. So that was a blessing because I didn't have any of those you know, problems with young relationships. Then as soon as I went to college, my mission for going to college was getting married. I tried to look very feminine, as feminine as I knew how at that point in my life. Like I did my makeup nicely. And my purpose for going there was, I'm gonna meet someone and I'm gonna get married here because my parents met when they were young. And so that was the vision that I had. I wanted to meet someone when I was 18. And I went to a non-Christian school. And so there, I had no leadership. I was out of my home. School I went to was an hour and a half away from my parents, and I really had no clue what I was doing. Boys intimidated me, especially boys that I liked. I'm pretty sure my face turned red when a boy that I liked talked to me, and I didn't know how to talk to them. So the odds of me meeting someone that I liked and it working out was slim to none because I didn't know how to talk to boys that I liked. And then ironically, the boys I didn't like 
I was very comfortable around because I didn't like them. And they, ended up they were the ones me. liking me because I was very comfortable around them. So I went to the school for a year and a half. Nothing really ever happened. Nothing happened. I, nothing really ever. Nothing happened. And uh, then I ended up transferring to a Christian school, which then going into the Christian school, I... Unfortunately came under the influence of a socialist professor. Well, that was at, that was at the non-Christian school. Really? Yeah, that was at the Quaker school. Mm-hmm. So when I say non-Christian, it was not Christian, but it was Quaker. So it was very liberal, which is weird that this Quaker school would be liberal. So at the non-Christian school, mm-hmm. uh, I came under a very socialist professor. And how did that affect your femininity? Well, so he gave me Shane Claiborne's mm-hmm. book, uh, Something Revolution, and it's pretty much about no borders. It was like the Jesus for president type of thing, and... Seeing how Shane Claiborne dressed, Shane Claiborne at the time had like dreads and wore baggy pants and drug rugs and that was like my role model at that time and so I definitely feel like the longer I was at that non-Christian school, the year and a half I was there, the less feminine I became from being Mm -hmm. in that Shane Claiborne teaching. And that's just a a good thing to touch on is that whole Galatians 3.28 dynamic. Galatians 3.28 is there's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, woman or man in Christ. And socialists love to use that to break down all of the hardware distinctions that God has made for us. We are part of a nation. We are a male or female. And we are a certain status or rank in hierarchy in society. And so if you start believing socialist stuff about there are no nations, there are no borders. There's no genders. (laughs) It'll soon come into there being no genders. And so you'll get these, these pretty girls who will start debasing themselves to become non-feminine to become unfortunately it, it a, a totally androgynous. And, androgynous yeah and that was the case for me and then i don't think it helped then going to a christian school where most christian schools this like dirty hippie look is kind of in mm-hmm. of like it's cool to look frumpy and i think i kind of fell into that i also started playing soccer at this school so then it was the athletic wear look so i went in between wearing drug rugs and baggy khakis to wearing sports clothes and then at the same time I which this is hard to talk about because I really love Elizabeth Elliot I we talk about her all the time but I started really getting into Elizabeth Elliot's story and from my interpretation of her story at that time in my life her delay of marrying Jim Elliot because their story is they met in college, but they both were afraid that being Which again married, was a lack of teaching that marriage is good and actually helps your purpose. Yeah. And so they had to do the whole five years of, I don't know if we should get married or not. This is going to affect our mission. It's like, you've just wasted five years of energy worrying about another guy or girl. Yeah. When you could have just got married and go pursue your purpose. And that was their story. And then for me, it put it planted the seed in my mind that wait a second, marriage could be a distraction and I don't want marriage to be a distraction. I was so sincere after the Lord. Mm -hmm. I loved God and I just wanted to live obedient to him. And if marriage was going to get in the way of that, I would lay down marriage to the point for, I would say six months to a year, I considered celibacy because I was like, maybe I'm not supposed to get married. If I'm supposed to be on mission for God, maybe I'm never supposed to get married. Meanwhile, attracted to guys on campus and of course they're not attracted to me because 
I'm not wearing makeup. Um, and not that you have to wear makeup, but I wasn't making myself feminine or beautiful. I don't think I even realized this at the time, but I think because I had such a negative view of marriage that that came out through how I presented myself, that I wasn't presenting myself as marriage material. It would, Instead, it was like, I'm gonna present myself in a way that guys won't be attracted to me. That way, I don't have a reason to be distracted. And so I went to this school for two and a half years and not a single guy asked me out that entire time while I was at that school. And in the back of my mind, it was like, well, this is great. Like, I haven't been distracted. I've, I've been on mission, on purpose. All the while, deep down, that desire is still very much there that I want to get married. And I had very little clue about the mission that I was on, even though I'm like, I'm on mission for God. I didn't even know what that mission was. And so then I graduated school and uh, Father of Lights, which is an amazing documentary. It could be, should I say it could be controversial? It's controversial to cessationists and to people who don't like the charismatic world. But like we came from the charismatic world, so it was very life-changing for us. It really stirred up my hunger of, I wanna live full-hearted, obedient to God. And then I got into a more charismatic church. God uses all of these things, and he did. I have great memories from this season, but as far as preparing me to be a wife and a mother, that was non-existent for me. It was hardly even talked about. Mm -hmm. I mean, even the single group that I talked about in our other video, this was the church where there was a single group that was ever growing of girls and guys. And I don't think a single relationship happened from that entire group. Well, people slept together in that group. They did, yeah. So, anyway. So, there's that. <laughs> but no one was getting married. Mm -hmm. No one did get married. When you get a group of guys and girls together in a group, there's gonna be tension of, you know, guys and girls, they like each other. But that was never helped. It was never assisted. It was never, what are the practical ways? It was ways? never channeled. We, like, here's how you do this. Yeah, it was not talked about. So I ended up, my sister and I both, we left that church. And then we went to a mission school in California. And I think it was at this point, I was 24 years old when we went to this mission school. I started realizing this isn't working. At this point, I'd still never had a boyfriend. So 24 years old, had never had a boyfriend. Had guys like me, I've liked guys, and nothing ever worked. I also didn't have anyone just take me under their wing and help me. I had a, a great mentor I considered a father figure, and he helped me in the ways of obeying the Lord, which I'm so grateful for. Understanding when God prompts you to do something, go somewhere. If it wasn't for him, I don't think I would have went out to this mission school to begin with. And had I not went to this mission school, I would have never met Scott. So he helped me with living out my Christianity, and he did try as but much. But it was the super spiritual Christianity of mission, 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 not the practical Christianity of how has God designed us to yes. live. And I would say I needed a female in that mm -hmm. like An older aspect. Because he did try the best he could. Mm -hmm. I really needed a female that was the empathetic, someone that I could just process with, talk about things, and I didn't have that. And again, that. that's the natural principle. Older women teach younger women yeah. how to love their husbands, love their children, keep the to their household yeah so then i go out to mission school and then come back at this point i think i started to understand femininity as far as maybe if i made myself look more presentable 
guys would like me. <laughs> and then I had a friend who was a few years older than me. She actually is the one who kind of took me under her wing. And the one day she was like, Kelly, you are really feminine. And I remember saying to her, I am not feminine. I don't wear pink and I don't wear like ribbons in my hair. Cause that's in my mind, that's what feminine was, was like girly. And she was like, well, that's not what femininity is. Femininity is being receptive and you're very receptive around guys. And this was a foreign language to me. I did not understand what she was talking about. She helped me understand dressing nice, how to do my makeup, wearing clothes that fit me. I'm forever grateful to her because I feel like those little steps of dressing well and knowing how to present myself well and even engaging with guys like she was the one who encouraged me like don't give too much information away it's okay to reserve some stuff whereas for me if I liked a guy I'm like well I need to tell them everything about me which I think scared some guys off and so yeah that was her that really helped me understand what it means to be a feminine woman and this goes against everything that we had been taught of our identity and our telos, our purpose as creatures of God. Because mm -hmm. everything we'd been taught is a girl is no different to a guy. Mm -hmm. we're, we're the same missional vessel. Our whole purpose is to go out on a mission and pray for people, get people saved, evangelize. evangelize. That is the identity, the telos that we were given. But when you really start reading the word, it's so clear throughout the word. It's not good for a man to be alone. So the Lord will make him a help meet. Mm -hmm. These are two different things. And that's the Lord speaking, the one who created us. And then when it comes to a lady being married and being a help meet to your husband, that just unlocks everything. And oh, that's a lot easier to understand. That's what I'm looking for. And you can do. relax into that. I think that's a great picture because I think when you're single, you have to create your own mold. I had how many years that I lived by myself as far as not having a husband, of having to provide for myself, protect myself, that's hard. And all of the ways that you learn being an adult that you could be doing with a husband and adapting to life with him, you end up becoming, I ended up becoming very set in my ways without even knowing it because I thought I was really flexible at the time. But you do, you just a natural thing. You have to provide for yourself, protect yourself. You have to become androgynous. You'd have to because that's the world that we live in. For me, it hit a point of, if I stay where I'm at, if I keep staying here, I'm not gonna meet a husband. I'm not gonna get married. I knew that. I made my little five list thing. God, I'm gonna write down five options and I'm gonna pray that you make clear which one I'm supposed to do. And he did. He made it so beyond clear that I was supposed to go to South Africa where I eventually met you. All of that being said, now that you understand the context of my single journey, which again, I look back and think I did it. I did it well. I'm, I don't have any shame. I don't have any condemnation or anything about my single journey that I'm like, oh, like that makes me upset or anything. But the one thing that does make me upset is that it was so many years before I got married. It, mm -hmm. it, that's what makes me sad is that I could have been a mom mm -hmm. or I could have been married at 18 and a mom mm -hmm. at 18. And we say this in like, as if like we would have loved to be married at 18. Mm -hmm. It's not against well, our marriage. We, we <laughs> see God's ways. We didn't grow up understanding marriage, knowing that this is a huge purpose for our life. 
And so now that we are married, we're like, whoa, life actually starts when you're married. Especially for a girl. I mean, I guess for a guy too, but for a girl, so many of my values were kind of up in the air. Like Scott said, I was socialist before I met you. Like, I didn't even know what socialism was. I wouldn't have said I was socialist, but I didn't like America. I didn't believe in borders. Everyone's equal. That was kind of my mindset. It wasn't until I met Scott that... I started to understand these things because we talked about everything. And I think for me, that's where the whole, the breakthrough of understanding submission came in was because we did come from egalitarian backgrounds of what's our mission together? What is our, what are we doing together? And then it's like, wait a second, this isn't actually in the Bible. Yeah. The androgyny. There yeah, was... of what are we doing with our life? So that androgyny of marriage where we're both just androgynous missional beings it doesn't work in a marriage. Mm -hmm. And so very quickly we, we started to figure out this polarity stuff and yeah. I actually really am attracted to her femininity. She's attracted to my masculinity. And then we're like, maybe I'm supposed to be masculine and you're supposed <laughs> to be feminine. Yeah, but that was like weeded out of us mm -hmm. in our single years. You can steward your single years in a way that you maintain your femininity. You can practice and live out your feminine virtues now and what are those feminine virtues that we've decided upon is beauty which is outward beauty and inward beauty it's how you present yourself it's confidence uh, cotton mather has a great line about when she walks into a room she walks in to be seen and not heard and i had to ask you what that meant because i was like what does that mean that she walks in to be seen and not heard and you were like well she's not obnoxious, loud, drawing attention to herself, it's the radiance of her beauty and the confidence that she carries. And I was like, that's a great picture. You can be confident in your femininity and in yourself. And I actually think guys are attracted to that. And so there's beauty, then there's helpfulness. How helpful are you to the people that are around you now, whether that be your father, the people of your church, the people at your job, your bosses, your friends. What, what does that look like to be helpful? Because that, that's, your, that's your creation, is to be a help meet. Yeah, and so you can already start practicing those things. And then cheerfulness in obedience. So being light, cheerful, receptive, and we say in obedience because that is where the whole submission things come in, of, of honoring, again, if you're under your father's household, what does that look like to be cheerfully obedient to your father or cheerfully obedient to your boss? As hard as that is, it's a good time to practice that. So you can be practicing all of these feminine virtues and how much more blessed will you be entering your marriage already having practiced those skills? Because it is practice. If you are not raised with these things, it's not just, oh, these are three things I should do. Like, perfect, I got it. <laughs> you are undoing all of these years of androgyny, independence, all of the things that society has pushed women to become men it takes time to get out of those mindsets. And that's what I wish that I would have uh, practiced more as I was single. Instead of being mm -hmm. so focused on what's my mission? What is my purpose? God, what am I doing with my life? Which was so much of my focus all the time. Whenever I was feeling sad about, you know, not being married, it was like, well, what am I doing with my life? Even writing down the five things was what am I doing? Also in the back of my mind, it's like, I'm not meeting anyone here, so I probably need to put myself in a new situation mm -hmm. to where I could possibly meet someone. Was that my only motive for going? No, because if it hadn't happened, I think it would have been devastating. And I was okay with, 
You know what I mean? Don't set myself up for disappointment. Yeah, like, you don't want to go somewhere or, like, go on a mission and be like, I'm going here to meet someone. It's like, mm-hmm. no, I'm going here out of obedience to God. And I'm also open to yeah. God bringing my husband to mm-hmm. me. I mean, that was kind of my mindset going to the mission school. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I'm not going to this mission school with the expectation of meeting my husband. But if I meet my husband while I'm at mission school, praise God, I would totally be okay with that. So with beauty, you often get people again saying beauty is idolatry, beauty is bad. As Christians, you shouldn't care about beauty. The Bible's full of God's beauty. You know, God made woman beautiful. So now what do you do with that tool? Yeah. It's, that's the, the issue. If It's the same with money. The love of money is the root of, not money. Money is not evil. The love of money. And I would say it's important enough that like the Bible mentions the beautiful women. It says Sarah was so beautiful that all Mm -hmm. of these other men were attracted to her and wanted to make her their wife. Understand what beauty is. It's a tool for you to attract a husband and have favor with a husband. So if you use it toward that task, that goal, then you want to max out your beauty. Mm -hmm. You want to be, I'm going to be as beautiful as I can to honor my husband, to do him good all the days of his life. Men like beauty. Mm -hmm. So you're doing him good all the days of his life. You want to use that beauty to exchange for your husband's commitment in marriage. And you're setting your odds up higher Mm -hmm. (laughs) to attract a guy. So here's just a few practical things for beauty is number one, long hair. Majority of guys like long, natural looking hair. Smile. Guys like it when a a girl's feminine, smile, energy. They don't like scowling, angry, moody. I don't want to have to cheer up an upset woman all the time. Or have to guess what mood she's in. Mm -hmm. I'm like, is now a bad time? Are you walking on eggshells? Wear your color palette. So there will be colors that suit you and there'll be colors that make you look bad. Clothes that you really like wearing over and over again are probably your color palette. There's a great book called... Color Me Beautiful. Color Me Beautiful talks about color palettes. Then wear clothes that are fitting to you. You don't want to be androgynous. You want to be feminine. But at the same time, you don't want to wear things that are revealing immodest. You want to package yourself well. That is what clothing is. It's Mm -hmm. packaging. I have value. I am beautiful. I know it. And I don't need to be... Flaunting. Yeah, flaunting things. Because that's what gets into Cotton Mather's thing of attracting buzzards. Yeah, he then says like... You don't want to just get married to anyone and have a husband that's a buzzard. You want to be picky. But then he also... A buzzard is a bird that picks at meat on the side of a road. <laughs> but, but he also then says, like, the way to prevent that is to have your fathers and mothers mm-hmm. involved in the process. If you want to foolproof your marriage, that you are entering into a good marriage, make sure you have your father and mother or the father figure or mother figure of your life involved in the process. And then on helpfulness, some practical things about helpfulness. How can you be helpful to your mother? How can you be helpful to your your family, the environments that you're in? How can I be helpful? And that, that even is as easy as asking the question, hey, how can I help you with that? Or is there any way I could help you with that or with something? That's being helpful. It's a posture of, I am here to help. Mm-hmm. By having accumulating experiences of helping people, you accumulate skills. You accumulate wisdom of, oh, I've seen that situation before. Here's how we fixed it or solved it or did it. Learning to serve in uncomfortable situations now or situations that you wouldn't necessarily choose to be helpful in or serving in it prepares you for the moments in your husband's life where let's say your husband has a work dinner party and you've been invited to come along and it's like, oh, I 
would prefer to not do this, but in an act of serving my husband and being a part of his mission, by me going along with you to events, I'm being helpful to you by showing up and being and a part I don't, of it. And then I don't have to look after you at the event and like, oh, she's unhappy and I yeah. need to make sure she's happy. It's like, no, you, you are very good at understanding the reason we're at this event. And or, I'm representing you. And so I think that was something that I learned with being in Stony Drift, which was the rubbish dump that I worked in for three months before I met Scott. It was the hardest experience of my life. It was disgusting, gross, but I look back at that time in my life as one of the greatest memories, and maybe because the outcome was meeting you, maybe that's why it's one of the, I think it would have been a great memory either way, but I think it was because it was humbling myself of doing things I wouldn't necessarily choose to do, but I'm put in a situation where there needs help. Help. And this then ties into the third one of cheerfulness, is while you're helping, be cheerful. One of the most attractive things for any masculine guy is, wow, cheerfulness. This girl is cheerful. Mm -hmm. I don't have to cheer her up all the time. I don't have to, why is she sad? Why is she angry? Why is she... It's like, no, she's cheerful. If I ask her to do something, she does it cheerfully. You know, there's that begrudging. We've all been part of it, right? A boss or a teacher or a parent asks us to do something that we don't want to do. And you're like, fine, but I hate you. You don't even have to say I hate you, but the attitude mm -hmm. is there. Yeah. And so that's obedience because you went and did it, but it's not cheerful obedience. Mm -hmm. And so we want to cultivate cheerfulness as a virtue of being helpful and being beautiful and being obedient. Cheerfulness is such an important part of the feminine polarity. My wife being cheerful makes me very attracted to her. It makes me very grateful for her. It makes me very energized by her. And so that cheerfulness is a huge part of being a Christian. God tells us to be cheerful. He, he tells us men to be cheerful when we are in times of trouble or when the enemy is around. God laughs at the days to come. Be courageous because the Lord is with you. Do not fear. The Lord is with you. It says about Sarah that she did not fear. It's easy to be cheerful when everything's going well. Something you can do while you're single is practicing, and, and I'm speaking to myself, it's, a, it's an ongoing thing, is being cheerful when things aren't going well or when things Because come things up. will come up. <laughs> yeah, things happen. And it's in those moments of like, you get to choose to practice cheerfulness or bad attitude, negative, passive aggressive. That's a choice. And that's something, again, you can either practice passive aggressiveness as a single girl and bring that into your marriage, or you can practice the uncomfortable cheerfulness, choosing cheerfulness now, despite your circumstances. And that is another thing uh, that I say this all the time, but it's so true. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. That is what Africa, if Africa's taught me one thing. Got my wife through Africa. Is, Blessed are the flexible. And so I think that goes along with mm -hmm. cheerful obedience is being willing to be flexible and having your plans change as needed. And see that as maybe this is God rearranging my schedule for the better mm -hmm. instead of, well, I had this idea in my mind and this should have happened this way. It's like, well, it's not. It's not happening that way. So you can choose to despair and be angry or you can choose to be cheerful and, and trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. You. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's it. You know, you've got to trust the Lord to vindicate you. You've got to trust the Lord. Matthew 6, 6, the Lord sees you in secret and he will reward you openly. The only way this works is if you believe the Lord sees you. It's the same with Sarah and Abraham. Mm -hmm. The only way that Sarah was able to be cheerfully obedient through all of that stuff 
is because she believed the Lord saw her and would vindicate her, and so he did. For a woman, the only way that you can be cheerfully obedient and helpful is if you believe that God will reward you. Christians come and say all the time, well, what if your husband's not a Christian? You still submit cheerfully. It says in Peter that you will win him over by your good conduct. That's talking about cheerful obedience. It's talking about helpfulness. It's talking about beauty. Esther won over the king by her beauty, by her obedience, by her helpfulness. With Mary getting impregnated by the Holy Spirit was Mm -hmm. like she was cheerful and like the heaviest. Yep. Like going to her husband. It caused a lot of troubles for her. Yeah. And she said, let it be unto me according to your word. Yeah. What a great heart response. Let it be unto me according to your word, Lord. I think all the practical things that we were talking about, these are all practical outworkings of it's okay to take care of yourself. It's okay to look nice. It's good, actually, to look nice. Um, I think that was something that I just really struggled with. One thing, looking back, I wish that I had found a married couple that I loved their marriage and asked them, would you mentor Mm -hmm. me? I never wanted to be a burden on people. And so I never asked anyone older than me to be my mentor. If you had met one of those couples now, what would you have said? True. To I think I would say, I, I really want to be married and I'm not meeting anyone. <laughs> Please help. <laughs> yeah. I don't even think I made clear to anyone besides my one mentor. He knew I wanted to be married, but I don't think I ever even made that obvious because it was more spiritual mm-hmm. to be. I am content in the Lord. I am content in my singleness. See how super spiritual I am of how content I am. Mm. I could be single for as long as possible. And deep down, every night in my journal, I'm like (laughs) praying. I'm writing prayers. And so I think I wish I would have invited more people into Mm -hmm. that time and actually And I think we want to be very clear. You do want people who have marriages that you respect, who have children and families that you respect. You don't want to just go and ask any no, old No, that was something that you told me when we got engaged. You said, we only want to take... Because once you get engaged, everyone comes out of the woodworks giving you marriage advice. And most of it's based off of people who have bad marriages. And so they give you negative advice. Mm-hmm. And I remember you saying to me, we only take advice from people we would trade places with. And so I think that's a good mindset too mm-hmm. of um, put yourself under people that you would trade places with. Of You see a great marriage. It's like, I really like your marriage. I would trade places with you. What did you do? I think also, like I said, I didn't go on any dates. I think I had this really huge fear that if I went on a date with one guy, I would like, what if he's the guy I have to marry now? Because I'd never gone on dates. And so I think now my mindset has changed with dating. At that time, I thought dating was bad. You're not boyfriend and girlfriend. Yeah. And I never wanted to dishonor my future husband. That was something that was so, such a conviction for me was that I never Mm -hmm. wanted to dishonor now Scott. I almost took that to an extreme to Mm -hmm. the point of, I didn't even think I could go on a date. And and from that side of, as a guy who would never have married a girl who was not a virgin, Mm -hmm. I'm okay with if Kelly had gone on coffee date, a game night, uh, outdoor yeah. fun thing like I would have been like no problem if she had if 30 guys had asked her for coffee there's no problem that the, the problem comes in passing sexual boundaries yes of that's when it starts feeling like I I would have been dishonored yeah and so I think for me I took it to the extreme of even a date was dishonorable which like that's why I think we did a video a while ago on ways to date mm-hmm. I'll link that below because that we did that in 2019 and mm-hmm. I think it's a good one But looking back, it's like, it would have been okay for me to go on dates and to not dishonor Scott. 
And it worked out for me. I am so grateful that I never experienced the, the disappointment. And and yeah, I, I don't have any of that. What we have seen of the young college couples that we have mentored is a girl who is in the dating scene of has no problem with dating. What they do is they give their heart every first yes. date. Like first date, we went for coffee or we went for a game night or whatever. And now he's my husband. Here's three scriptures. Here's a dream. Everything. And like I've told him everything about myself. Mm -hmm. You're straight. The the intimacy levels are beyond what is actually honorable. And what's real. And like what's real. And, and that is a, such a good point because I think that's what I would have done and why I didn't mm -hmm. go on dates because I did not have that concept of understanding. So I think I would have been that girl that would have been like, well, now that we've gone on a date, like I've told him all this stuff about me. There's now intimacy because even though there's not uh, physical intimacy, there is emotional intimacy. Mm -hmm. If I reveal all of my... Which is more important for the girl. Yeah. Deepest dreams, desires, secrets. And now this guy has that. It's almost like I owe a connection yeah. with this guy. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so... Obligation. I think, again, if a married couple had taken me under their wing and explained that this is the dynamics of dating, you can do dating well, here's how. Stay in public places, mm -hmm. be probably, in groups probably of people. Probably be in groups, yeah. Be with the We mentors. will have a game night yeah. and you. we can invite some young people over. Mm -hmm. We can have a dinner and invite young yeah. people over. As a young lady, you can also set a guidepost or a, a guardrail for yourself of... I'm not going to date anyone beyond a couple months mm -hmm. because if you're date, you know, if you're seeing each other for a couple months, that's more than enough time to have an older couple speak into your life and say, yeah, you guys look great. He's a Christian. You're a Christian. You're willing to serve his mission. Personality wise, you look like you get along. You've met his family. He's met yours. Praise God, get married. But if it's just date after date after date after date and, you know, maybe oof, we start crossing some bound yeah. physical boundaries and emotional boundaries. No... You know, now there's obligation. And now you're just married without being married. And so now there's guilt, there's shame, there's all this mm -hmm. just trouble. When you could have just said, I'm going to set a limit on this of, I'm happy to go to coffee with anyone or go to a game night or have a dinner with, with our yeah. mentor couple. I'm happy to do all that stuff. And then set the expectation mm -hmm. while doing that. Like, yeah. this is the intention. Mm -hmm. Instead of just being up in the air, you don't really know if, this, you're dating, you're not dating, but you're spending all your time together. Mm -hmm. And so I also do want to bring in to this online dating because neither of us, I don't think it was that big of a deal when we were. I, I've never online dated. No, me either. And I'm not sure many people did. It was kind of taboo, I would say, at that time to online date during our single years. At first, I think I did have an issue with online dating. because now like, we know people. Yeah. I think my mindset was like, well, you're taking this into your own hands by doing online dating and it's like Good. well <laughs> yeah like it depends how you use it it's again mm -hmm. a tool and if you're using it to make a connection with someone to where then you meet in person and if it's safe what i do know is that there are people that we know are married have mm -hmm. great marriages and they met online i mean i can i can think right now of three people and marriages. i mean it's the reality like you look at our youtube channel you look at and, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we are gathering friendships and connections with people who believe the same things we believe. Majority of people have never met people in their real life who believe the things that they believe and are living the way they want to live. Yeah. So unfortunately, that is, or not unfortunately, just the reality 
is that right now your tribe is online. The people who would fit your culture are online. I just want to like make that clear that if that is something you feel compelled to do, maybe that's the Holy Spirit prompting you to do that, but use that wisely. Don't do online messaging back and forth. And if the guy's not saying, let's meet up in a public place, or, or meet, each meet other's your families. family, mm-hmm. I would say that's probably the safest thing to do. Because that's the, the reality. A lot of people are like, whoa, this is a bit extreme, bro. This is, you're, getting, you're cutting straight to the point. It's like, yeah, the point of dating is marriage. Mm-hmm. The point of meeting girls is marriage. So saying to someone like, hey, I'm really interested in you. I, I think you're virtuous. Uh, it's pretty much what I told Kelly like the first week. Our first date. I think you're virtuous. You're lovely. I am attracted to you. Intention is to marry My you. My intention is to marry you. Like, <laughs> and I was like... Well, I'm glad he told me this. Yeah, I'm straight out the gate. Like, if she was afraid of that and was like, oh, no, I don't want to get married, then it's like, great, I have not wasted my yeah. time. And at the same time, she didn't have to beat around the bush and be like, oh, does this guy like me? Is he just... What is his intention? Yeah. And so we could set a very clear... That was like our first date. Yeah. And so you can do the same thing for online dating. Again, people are going to be it doesn't weirded have to be, out. I was going to say, it doesn't have to be weird, actually. Yeah. I think it's strange that people think that's weird to say. It doesn't have to be. It's well, not like, it, I'm marrying you. <laughs> you didn't propose to me. No, but it's like, I would like to see where this goes with the intention of marriage. And that's the problem, I think, with all of these churches we've been a part of. Yeah. Is these pastors have been, oh, it's kind of weird if I just come out and say, you're single, she's single, y'all get married. They feel a lot of pressure for it working out. Yeah. Which is like, good. You should be preaching every week that all the marriages work out. Yeah. There's, again, there's hard truths that need to be preached for marriages to work out Mm -hmm. that go against the culture. But if the marriages aren't working out, which statistically they're not, it's because we're not doing things the way that God wants them to be done. Mm -hmm. And so as leaders, you have to take the responsibility of, here's all these young people. They are desiring the heck out of each other. Tell them to get married, teach them how to be married, teach them how to have a good marriage. Here's the hard, valuable lessons that we've gained through trial yes. and error. Yeah. You know, here's what we would have done uh, at your age or in your, your context. And we were talking the other day, we uh, worked in a youth group, and we were talking about the Titus 2 thing of older women teach the younger women to, to love your husbands, love your children, be a keeper of your home. And that the word of God be not blasphemy. We were a part of this youth group for over a year. And none of those things that it says older women teach the younger women was taught. And then I was thinking some of the other leaders aren't even married. So they don't know to teach this to the younger girls because they're not being taught this. This is how far away we are from God's ways. God's ways that only being with your husband is strange sad yeah so that's why we're doing what we're doing that's why we want to talk about these things if you're in a church where there are no marriages you look up to or would want to trade places with find a new church if your deepest desire is to get married which it probably is and you're at a your church, deepest purpose is to get married <laughs> yeah and you're at a church where there is no one for you to ask to be a part of this journey go to a new church with that as your mindset mm-hmm. of when i'm going to this church i'm going to go looking for, I mean, that was kind of the church that we've gone to mm-hmm. now. We wanted strong families. People where children are a blessing. Mm-hmm. And immediately the church that we go to now, that was obvious. Yeah. It was so obvious. We were like, okay, these people think children are a blessing. Yeah. And it was a totally different denomination, totally different. Like, they believe, a lot, of, yeah, believe a lot of different <laughs> things than we were raised. But we were like, our va- the prime value we're looking for right now in a fellowship is family. Mm-hmm. We want strong families. We want a positive vision for family. That's where we're going to go. Mm-hmm. 
And that's what we found. Yes. And it needs to be the same for single girls. And we were looking for it. Like, that was mm-hmm. in our mind of when we go to a church, this is what we're going to be looking for. Yeah. So there's that. And then there's two, if you're going to a church and there's no single available men that you are attracted to, find a new church. You don't have to stay there. Don't just mm-hmm. linger around unless there is a couple there that is helping you. But if Actively that's, helping you. Yes. Uh, but if that's not happening, then... Go to a new church. There are so many churches out there. Another thing, which we've talked about in the past, you think going to a mega church is the greatest option because it's like, well, surely there's a huge group of young people. And yeah, you can go once and see if any of the guys approach you because if you're a pretty girl that walks into a group, new girl, see what happens. Maybe go twice because some guys are shy and they won't initiate the first time. So maybe go two or three times. But... If that doesn't work, don't think going to mega churches is your only option. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the best church you could go to is the country church. There could be a a country boy that his desire is to meet a girl in his church so you can be a part of his little family church. We Mm -hmm. went to a church like that when we were in Indiana and we were like, oh, this church only accepts people that marry into this church. This would be a good church for single girls to come and camp out at. (laughs) Write down five churches. Ask the Holy Spirit. Make it fun. God... When I get on Google Maps, can you show me, highlight five churches you want me to go to? That's how we found our church. We Google mapped. It was the closest, literally the closest church to us. Not the closest church in our denomination. It was the closest church to our house. Mm -hmm. And that's how we found it. Another thing that I will add on to that as well, if you're working, work at a place where there's a possibility of seeing guys that are your target market. So waitressing is not a bad thing. That could be hard because... It would take a very courageous, bold guy to introduce himself if you were his waiter, but it's a possibility. Working as a, what do you call it, attendant at a gym, Mm -hmm. that's an option. Or a receptionist of like an office Mm -hmm. firm, like a... A a A family-run business reception, a receptionist for a family-run business. Yeah, that's a great option. Mm -hmm. Think about ways where you can place yourself in a very feminine way. It's like what Ruth did, placing herself at Boaz's feet of... I'm going to make this very easy for him. That's the, the thing you need to understand with Ruth. You know, it's okay for a girl, like getting married is one of the biggest priorities in your life. If your job is going against you getting married, quit your job. If your church is against you getting married, quit that church. If your health is a problem to you getting married, sort that marriage is one of the biggest priorities of your Christian life mm-hmm. as a girl. So you want to take that seriously. Ruth took it seriously. Mm-hmm. She put herself at the feet of Boaz. Now you can obviously read into that a thousand different ways. But the point is there's a biblical okay of go put yourself in the path of men that you find attractive and then be beautiful, be helpful, be cheerful and pray that the Lord would open their heart to you and give them courage. There is this belief that you want the guy to pursue you, but if you're a girl and you're interested in a guy and he's not asking you out, what do you do? Mm-hmm. So you actually had a past girlfriend who invited you to an event, mm-hmm. and that's why you went, was because she invited you. Yeah. Would you say that that's yeah. what happened? Mm-hmm. And then she left it open on me to then Decide if you wanted up. to go to mm-hmm. that. It was like a concert or something. Yeah. And so you can do that. Like You don't have to think of, like, well, he hasn't asked me to do anything. We have a friend who was match made at church with a girl that he didn't find attractive, but unfortunately this girl just straight out DM'd him and said, hey, this person said we should go on a date. And now it was super awkward because yes. he wasn't attracted. 
the better way to do it. And so she was heartbroken. Yeah. When and embarrassed. He and now said they got no. To, you know, a better way to do that would be like, hey, do you want to come to a game night with all these people? Hey, do you want to go on a hike with all these people? Hey, do you want to come to this concert with all these people? Now it's a no pressure way of getting to know someone without them having to commit right there. And to without them having you. to reject you. Yeah. If he says no, if he likes you, he'll go to the group event because mm -hmm. he wants to be around you. Yeah. If he says no without any follow-up of, oh, sorry, I can't go, but if you ever do it again, let me know. Let me know. That mm -hmm. means, okay, he probably likes you. But yeah. if he flat out says no, then you perfect. can understand where he's coming from and you don't I'll have to be dealing with the rejection it's not awkward when you on. see each other again yeah. yeah the other thing is a guy might just be doing it out of politeness and come to your dinner or your event or whatever you then leave it up to him mm -hmm. to follow up if he wants to now invite you somewhere or if he wants to message and say hey thanks for inviting me that was really fun mm -hmm. chit chat don't then go pursuing the guy again, again. You don't want to have to keep initiating. It's okay to make the first. That could be a way as like if you're a waitress or a receptionist or whatever and there's a regular who comes in that you're it's like, hey, a bunch of friends and I are going to this event on Saturday. Would you want to come? Yeah. What a great way to initiate, hey, I'm available to be pursued if this is something that. Yes. And you can see if he takes the initiative yeah. to go. We're going to do the next part. My single story and what I wish I had done differently or uh, lessons to the younger guy who's dealing with the things I dealt with. Things that you learned looking back. That's right. God bless. I became a Christian at 13, really wanted to earnestly serve the Lord. And so I had this thing in my heart that the first girl I dated would be my wife. Uh, when I was about 15, there was this great drama that came into town, the silver ring thing. And this pastor was basically illustrating a story. He took two planks, bunch of wood glue. And he's like, this is what happens when you have sex. And he sticks the two planks together. And he's like, two people become one flesh when they have sex. And so we're like, okay. And then all of a sudden the lights in the auditorium go dark. And everyone's like, what's going on? What's going on? And this chainsaw, what's going on? What's going on? Is that the end of the presentation? And this chainsaw starts up. And the lights are all flashing and this guy in a hockey goalkeeper mask comes out and just goes to town on this plank with his chainsaw. And then lights come on, he walks off and there's pieces of wood all over the stage. He picks up the two kind of messed up planks and he's like, this is what you have to do to get out of that. If you want to get out of that, you're going to carry with you pieces of the other plank throughout the rest of your life. And it's going to take a lot to get yourself back into a place where you can now bond with another plank again. And it was a great little illustration on becoming one flesh. It made a, a huge impression on me and I'm very grateful for that. Very thankful for that teaching. I think because of that is what kept me from the many opportunities to sleep around. It really put a desire in me to marry a virgin wife. And so probably when I was about 16 or 17, also at youth group, ironically, so the good sides of youth group, the bad sides of youth group, one of my youth group leaders brought up to me, what did I think about this girl? Did I think she was attractive? Did I like her? It was something that I hadn't been thinking on, you know, that whole thing of don't awaken love until the right time. It awoke in me, obviously, an interest to, or, or maybe a permission to start dating around and pursuing girls. So I started dating this girl in high school. You know, looking back now, the number one piece of advice that I have to young guys is that when you're in high school you're not a man yet you don't live on your own you aren't earning an income you're not ready to get married and this kind of applies going forward into university for a lot of guys as well 
But basically, if you aren't able to marry a girl and start a family, what are you doing dating? Because that's the point of dating. The point of dating is let's get married. So what I wish someone had said to me as a teenager is don't date around until you're a man, until you're working, you, you are able to stand on your own two feet, then by all means go to town, look for a pretty girl, get married. So instead, focus on crushing at your domain. So as a high school student, that's gonna be school and sports and friends. Max that out, you know, go hard at your schoolwork, be excellent there, go hard at your sports, be excellent there, and, and make wonderful memories with your friends. That freedom of time to, to make friendships and go and do things together, it's a wonderful time in your life to do that. Instead, if you're busy, chasing girls rather than doing all of that, it's a waste of time. You get, you can chase girls in your 20s. In high school, you should have different priorities. And so, for those of you who are in college and who are dating right now, I, I would say the same thing. What is stopping you from getting married to your, you know, if you have a girlfriend right now, what is stopping you from getting married? And, you know, maybe the objections would be like, well, we don't earn money, or we don't have a house, or her parents wouldn't allow it, or my parents wouldn't allow it. And it's like, you're a child, you shouldn't be dating until such a time as you can make man decisions of, yeah, we'll get married, we'll live together. And just to encourage you, if, if you are serious about this relationship and you wanna become a man and you wanna get married in college, that's a wonderful thing. It'll, it'll actually be an awesome thing for you. Two can live as cheap as cheaper than one, perhaps. There's even things to look into of scholarships or stipends or whatever you would call it from universities for married people. It might be a cheaper semester if you're a married person. Likewise, you're not wasting your money going out and impressing girls and dating because now you're married and you can actually enjoy being married. Um, I think married entertainment can be cheaper than dating entertainment. Totally. How much of your single life is involved going out for the sake of trying to meet people? Mm -hmm. And then when you're married, you just want to stay home. Yeah. And also because, and this will, this is quite vulnerable, I think for a lot of people it might be awkward, but at the same time as if you're a Christian, again, we read that statistic in the first video, but 80 to 90% of single Christians are sleeping around, feeling guilty, feeling ashamed. You're functionally married. Why not get married for real? And you can have guilt-free lovemaking. You can live with your best friend. You can enjoy college together married if that's what you want to do. If you don't want to do that, then I highly recommend breaking up and just avoiding girls until such a time as you can make those decisions. It'll save you a ton of time, ton of money, ton of shame, ton of regret, ton of anxiety, and it'll allow you to crush at the thing that you should be crushing at, which is school, sports, friendships. Which then would that tie into your advice on like boundaries and timelines? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so after school, I, I dated two girls, and one of the things that I had seen for a, a, a lot of the churches I had been in was couples dating for three, four years. And it's like, why are you doing that? Why are you dating? That is insufferable. It's like, as a guy, and again, it always comes back to this thing of, again, 80% of Christian couples are probably sleeping together anyway. But for someone who's got a conviction to not do that, that's almost an impossible timeline. Again, the advice to, if you do have a girlfriend, you are ready to get married, or you're able to get married, put it that way, Put a, a timeline on yourself of three to six months of within three to six months, we break up or we get married because that allows you to really set a boundary of, I don't have to cross any sexual boundaries here. And it forces me to get to the point of what am I looking for in a wife? Because so many people are like, well, you've got to know them for four seasons. You know, you're looking for a girl who you want to meet her family. Do you like her family? How she was raised? Can you address the issues of how she was raised compared to how you were raised? 
and then are you going to help my mission so if you're in college and you're wanting to study a certain thing and go on a certain career track is she going to be helpful to me down the line in my future is she going to adapt herself to me or am i going to have to adapt myself to her put her career first am i going to have to support her goals and her mission those are the, the sort of things you're looking for and you can find that out within three months because again if you put a, a deadline on something you get it done within the deadline if there's no deadline you'll procrastinate and procrastinate and procrastinate and then two three years goes by you're frustrated you're ashamed you're guilt you're you're obligated mm -hmm. all this stuff and you still don't know if you want to marry her or not whereas like you could have had an enjoyable marriage for the last three years and actually started building your life together but instead it's the suspended childhood you say three to six months now because you think it can be done in three to six months but at that time in your life, your limit was a year. Mm -hmm. And then as the year approached, do you want to share that story? Yeah, as the year approached, this incredible anxiety came up because I'd set myself a deadline of, of a year. And again, deadlines make action. And so I had incredible anxiety because I wasn't get, I wasn't ready for marriage. I was at, at a rugby academy, which is basically a, a college environment. I wasn't earning money that could support a family. I wasn't out on my own, I was very much dependent on my family and dependent on being a, a student. And so I, that realization within me was like, I can't get married. I mean, I, I could have, but I was afraid. And she was a bit older than you, so her, she was ready to have children yeah. right away. And Yeah, so the expectation was very much beyond where I was at. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. And so, so many guys that are like, oh, I don't know, should I, shouldn't I, is this the one, isn't this? Whereas if you just put a three-month deadline on, there isn't that full year of obligation of, well, now we've spent a year together, all of our social life is together, all of our church life is together, all of our free time has been together, and there is this incredible, you start becoming one, even if there isn't sexual boundaries crossed or whatever, you, you do start becoming one emotionally, in your lifestyle, in your friendship groups, in your identity, and so... Three months is a great deadline to set yourself of, I, I don't mind spending a ton of time getting to know this person for three months and get right to the point of the matter of, you know, is she going to be a good help me to my life? And because am I ready to get married? Would you say that because you knew in your mind you had a year so you didn't need to get mm -hmm. to the... Yeah, we could just enjoy the dating. Oh, we're just enjoying each other's company, enjoy the friendship. Yeah. And it's like, that's not why you're doing this. <laughs> yeah. You know? Then, then it makes it harder when you do break up mm -hmm. because of this, the investment in time, money, and yep. energy. Definitely. If you, you know, date a girl for, for a, a while and you break up with her... There's... Which takes a lot of courage to actually break up. Yeah, especially in a church environment where if you share friendship groups, you share a church, all this kind of stuff, everyone else is expecting you to get married. Everyone else is already seeing... Especially once you go past the three-month mark, it's like, oh... They're a thing now, of course they're gonna get married, it's just a matter of time. So to break up is a very awkward and embarrassing thing for everyone involved. It can split friendship groups, it can make church awkward. It's a real hard thing to do. So a ton of people don't break up out of fear for all of the trouble that mm. it'll bring and then they just stay in. Well, I was gonna say, we knew someone who um, was involved in a church, was dating his girlfriend, broke up with his girlfriend and because a lot of the leaders loved this girl, they pretty much shamed, shamed him, him into getting back, back. with her. Mm -hmm. So you, those are dynamics that are very yeah. real. The obligation side of you feeling bad or being shamed into, into marrying a girl that 
maybe is not the best for you. The point of all of that is understanding your times. If you're in high school or in college, you're not in a position to get married majority of the time. And if you want to get married, that's also probably fine. You can get married at, at 18 if you want. You need to be an independent man who can make his own decisions. And unfortunately, that's not the majority of young men in college these days. One more point on the high school and college age dynamic is that you're gonna be in a lot of friendship groups with a bunch of pretty girls that you find attractive. And so one thing that I wish I was told and, and that is the, is the very real dynamic is that there is no friendship between guys and girls. There's no such thing as just friends. If a girl is hanging around a guy, she likes him. If a guy's hanging around a girl, he likes her. So mixed friendship groups are awesome if you're ready to get married because it's a, a no pressure way to get to know a bunch of girls in a safe environment, see how they react to things, see how they interact with other people. What a wonderful way to meet girls if you are ready to get married. But if you're not ready to get married and you have no business dating, those friendship groups can be very awkward. What ends up happening is if you're not advancing on any girls, if you're not showing interest in any girls, you might have girls start showing interest in you and start trying to make advances on you. And then what do you do with that? Are you polite? Do you entertain them? Now are you leading girls on? You know, are you oblivious to it and just think, well, we're friends? And it just leads to tons of awkward stuff. And then would you say to the sometimes where guys end up dating girls just because a girl pursued them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that happened to me with one of my girlfriends is I was in a, a mixed friendship group with 10, 11 really pretty girls who all love the Lord. I could pursue any of these girls. But at the same time, I think I, I kind of knew I probably shouldn't because I'm really not ready to get married. Also, this is a hard decision to make, you know, abundance <laughs> of choices. Um, and so one of the girls pursued me. Oh, okay, she's pretty. Sure, let's, let's see where this goes. I was a college-age boy, not ready for marriage, not standing on my own two feet. And so it was just terrible timing, not understanding the times. For, for, for both of us, the, the girl should have been looking for an older guy who was ready to get married. Because this is the one who was older than you. Yeah. And I should have been not mixing around with a bunch of girls enjoying their attention. I should have been crushing at sports and school. So understand the dynamics of friendship groups. If you're going to put yourself in a mixed friendship group, either be straight out clear, I'm a man nun, avoiding all girls. <laughs> Which will probably make girls more interested in you. <laughs> yeah, but then you can be then you can be rude and like not... Uh, accept honest. all of their advances. The next point is on egalitarianism. So I grew up very egalitarian, libertarian boy who just wanted to be a good, nice Christian guy. You know, we were told all these things of if you just follow God, then a girl who's just following God and you'll meet at God. And that's not actually the case because being a, a an egalitarian, being an, an androgynous guy makes you end up usually idolizing girls being really afraid of upsetting them, always wanting to be a servant to the, the lady and be like, well, what do you want to do and whatever makes you happy mm -hmm. and I'm going to base my life around you. And that's not every guy, you know, God bless the guys who don't have to work out from behind that baggage. And that's not masculinity. <clears throat> no. And so, you know, that's something that I had to come out of is this egalitarian mindset. And so one of my girlfriends, I was very egalitarian. She was very career orientated, academic, wanted to get all of her qualifications, all this kind of thing. And so of course, being an egalitarian nice guy, I was like, well, I will help you with your career and your goals. And 
ended up basing my life around her goals. So with her, what would you have done? Or what do you wish someone had told you? Yeah, and so, and my brother did tell me this <laughs> to my shame and God bless my brother. But a girl adapts herself to your life. She follows your life. She follows your goals. She helps your goals. You don't adapt to her life. You don't adapt and follow her goals. And so I was like, but no, bro, I, trust me, it'll be fine. It was not fine. <laughs> and so my brother was right. And so, um, and so the big lesson from egalitarianism coming out of the popular culture of egalitarianism is that two androgynous people will end up, one of them will end up being the masculine and the other will end up being the feminine. And if it's the guy who ends up being the feminine, you are against your nature. And same for the girl, she's against her nature. And so there ends up being this incredible... Resentment. Yeah, just a, a turmoil in your life of we're not living how God intended us to live. Yeah. So after I broke up with her, again, dealing with all of this obligation, all of the shame, this guilt. And thankfully, I did have a friend who gave me very good advice. And he said, bro, there's thousands of girls out there who would be a good helpmeet for you. There's not a lack. There's no... Because, you know, inside, I think every guy or girl who dates for a long time is like, well, they're the one... My whole life is with them. My identity's in them. Am I ever going to meet anyone else? Am I ever going to meet anyone else? I've missed it. Yeah, fear of missing out. And so a lot of Christians return to a past girlfriend, a past boyfriend. And so, again, the advice there is, no, there is an abundance. There's an abundance of partners who would be a good help me to you. Would you say, too, that, like, after breaking up, you kind of look back with rose-colored glasses and you start remembering all the positive things and you forget all the problems definitely <laughs> and so your friend saying that was like reminding you know that there was a reason you broke up yep definitely so and so with that abundance mindset comes this putting away of the old forgiving yourself forgiving the other person just cleaning out your past regrets hurts disappointments shames all that kind of stuff but you have to get back to the place of okay there is an abundance out there god does have a wonderful someone out there who would be very many people out there who would be a good fit for me a good help me to me but i have to make myself a person who is high value and a good fit for that person to be attracted to me and so we have tons of guys saying well where do you find trad girls where do you find a trad girl do you know any trad girls are there trad girls around there probably are thousands of trad girls around but if you're not a trad guy they're not going to want you so the first part in being a more traditional guy a more masculine guy is learning to hold frame versus being controlled by a woman's emotions that's a real hard lesson for nice guys or effeminate guys or androgynous guys to have to learn is to be the one who holds frame of i don't mind if everyone else is upset with me i don't mind if everyone else is not enjoying themselves here's what i'm trying to do here's where i'm going here's my direction here's my vision here's my values and I'm not deviating from that. This is what I want to achieve in my life. And that way, when a girl comes along, I'm not like, oh, veer off and go pursue a girl. It's like, no, I'm going here and a girl can join me on my mission, on my goal. That's holding frame. So often you see this with married couples. The wife controls the guy through her emotions and through passive aggressiveness, being upset anytime she doesn't get her way. And so as a guy, again, all these guys are gonna be like, where do you find a trad girl? And it's like, you know, we, I wasn't, I wasn't really a trad guy. No, you weren't I, a trad girl. No. We just realized once we were married of, oh wow, being married is awesome. I'm more attracted to you when you're feminine. You're more attracted to me when I'm masculine. This feels better. This feels right. We started, thankfully, 
going down this path of the masculine Reading God's and the feminine. Word. <laughs> yeah, taking God at his word. I was thinking when you were talking earlier, would you say that being in a lot of church environments are actually very feminine, which mm-hmm. makes guys more feminine? Because when you were yep. saying about being assertive and holding frame yeah. in a lot of churches, yeah, it's a lot of Yeah, a lot of churches encourage women to be risky and aggressive and assertive Mm -hmm. and masculine because, and it's the same in the corporate world, but girls are awesome at running bureaucracies, at running organizations and making sure that everything's clean and organized and tidy and hosted. Whereas men are good at building, fighting and protecting. It's that proverb where it says, where the oxen is, the barn is dirty. But much increase, much gain comes from the work of an ox. And so if you want a clean church, if you want a clean corporation, get rid of all the men. But if you want gain, if you want productivity and building and protecting, then you're going to need men. But then that comes with, ooh, men are uncomfortable, men are rude, men are dangerous, men are mean. Risks. Risks. And so unfortunately, a lot of churches that we've been in, this is not all churches, but a lot of churches that we've been in growing up, the girls are encouraged to be risk takers and assertive and ambitious. Yeah. Whereas the men are told to be servants. You've got to serve, you've got to serve, you've got to serve. And so what ends up happening is you get these incredibly risk averse men and these incredibly ambitious women uh, in those environments. And so the lessons from this is you want to become a patriarch. That's the biggest lesson out of all of this. A 14 year old boy can start absorbing this lesson and I mean in the Jewish culture the Old Testament culture boys became men at age 13 so you want to become a patriarch and a patriarch is all about building wealth in your work your domain what is the passion and the skill and the talent that God has put in your life to go do you want to start going and building excellence at that a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men that's status and unfortunately again in the church So many men think that they're called to the ministry domain and you end up getting all these theology bros and all these missionaries and all these worship leaders and all these preachers and pastors. 80% of them shouldn't be there. 80% of them should be doing something else in the other domains out in public, taking dominion for the Lord in other domains. The ministry domain is an awesome thing, but like if you look at the, the archetype in the Bible of the Levites, probably one in 12, right? The Levites were one out of 12. They were the priests. Probably one in 12 guys, like 8% of dudes should be in the ministry. The rest of us should all be crushing in business, in media, in academia, in government. There's so many different domains for you to go and absolutely go give your gift, be talented, gain status in society. So that with that status comes influence. We want to influence our world. We want to be the ones who are influencing how culture happens, how society takes place. We want to be the leaders of that. That's one of the main things of being a patriarch. Then, alongside that comes building your family and your legacy. You've built all this influence. You've built all this wealth. To what purpose? Abraham says to God, he's like, God, you've given me all this stuff. You've given me victory in battle. You've given me great wealth. You've given me land. What does any of this matter if you do not give me children? And so the, the desire to pass on that influence, pass on that wealth, comes through marriage and children. And then your children basically emulate you in society. So whoever you are, your children start from your base and you are giving them an inheritance so that they can then pursue their talents, their gifts, their their domain 
and become even bigger patriarchs, better patriarchs than you were. And so for a lot of guys, they'll look and be like, I don't know what my mission is. I don't know what God's calling me to. He's calling you to be a patriarch. Be a patriarch at the things that you're excited about, the things you're passionate about. If you have a random hobby or a skill or something that you just love thinking about and doing and spending your time and money on, how do you be the best at it? Go be God's top guy in that domain. Go be God's best man in that domain. And then a wife can join you in your mission of being a patriarch. A wife can join your frame of wealth, influence, family. And then how would you say a guy would know if his wife is... if? Because I think that goes in line with how do you find a trad girl? How do you... How can you tell? How can a man or a guy tell if a girl's going to help his mission? Yeah, I think how willing is she to come along with you and do all the things you want to do? Is she cheerful? Is she helpful? Does she want you to be successful at the thing that you find passionate and exciting? If she doesn't want to go to your show, if she doesn't want to go to your hobby, if she doesn't want to go to your church, if she doesn't want to support your work and what you're doing, but she wants you to do all that for her, go to her hobby, go to her church, go to her show, go to her work, then it's you are now the helpmeet. You're the one who's excited about her life and is trying to promote and push her mission. And that's where you end up with a matriarchal society where everything is catered around how do we make women happy when statistically the you know half the culture is on antidepressants. Last thing is how do guys become more attractive to girls? And that all comes through confidence in your domain. A lot of guys, again, I'm, I'm going to reiterate this point because I wish it was reiterated to me. Ministry is probably not your domain. In fact, for the majority of guys, I'm going to say ministry is not your domain. If that's a hobby on the side, God bless, that's wonderful. A ton of men lose all of their energy and time into the church as, as a domain thinking, I'm going to become an elder, I'm going to become a pastor, a missionary, a worship leader, a theologian, whatever it is. And that happens because so many people who are in the ministry put zero value on things that are outside the walls of the church. We need more Christian men in business. We need more Christian men in academia. We need more Christian men in media. We need more Christian men in sports, in government, in bureaucracy, in local politics, in trades, in farming, agriculture. We need Christian men to go out and take dominion in all these other domains, entertainment, whatever the domain you can think of that you're passionate about, that's probably where you're called to. If you've got a passion for it and you would not only do it for free, but pay to go and do it, that's probably the domain that God is calling you to go and do. Go become excellent at that. Go take dominion in that place. Be confident in that place. That's how you become attractive to a girl. Girls love men who are confident. They're crushing at the thing that they're crushing at. They, this is what I love to do. And I'm going to explain it to you for two hours because this is what I'm excited to do. That's what girls find attractive, is a man who's confident. And then if you're confident at that thing, and all the other guys in your hierarchy, in your domain are like, wow, that guy's really cool. That's called social proof. That's called status. That's what women are attracted to. And again, it's this taboo thing to say that. Guys are attracted to beautiful girls. Oh, that's taboo. You can't say that. Well, it's the truth. Guys are attracted to beautiful girls. Girls are attracted to high status guys. Oh, you can't say that. It's the truth. Girls are attracted to high status guys who are confident. Other men think that those men are cool and are crushing. Well, so will girls. It, I'm just thinking of, it's the like picture of ugly professional athlete married to a gorgeous model. Like you see that with professional athletes. 
And it's like, because he's high status and she's beautiful. Mm -hmm. There it is. Out of all of this, understand your times. If you're a young guy, your first mission is to be a patriarch. Avoid girls, go crush. Be a patriarch. Wealth, influence, understand who God has made you to be. What is your domain? How do I go give my gift? How do I become high status in the things that I care about? And then look for a girl who would be helpful and adapt herself to you and what you're trying to do. And that can be at 18. At 18, you don't have to be wealthy and fully successful because to be honest, you're not gonna be a success at being a patriarch till you're 60 or 80. That's when you can look back and be like, I've run my race, I am a success. But your whole life you should be crushing all the way up to 80, 90, 100, however long the Lord gives you to live. So you can be 18, know that you need to be a patriarch and start working toward that and have zero to show for it, but you're confident and you have a vision, awesome. Get married to a woman who believes in your vision, likes your confidence and wants to get on board with where you're going. And a lot of guys would be like, well, what if, if, I, if I don't look for a girl in high school, I'm never gonna find a girl again. Or if I don't look for a girl at college, I'm never gonna find a girl again, that fear of missing out. If you crash at your mission and focus on building status, the more valuable you become, which means the more selection of girls that you have available to you. And so you can be 25, you'll have more wealth than an 18 year old, you'll have more momentum than an 18 year old, you'll have hopefully more status and confidence and idea of where you're going. You're actually more attractive than an 18 year old guy. So you have more options of girls. You just need to put yourself in a place to find those girls. If you're at a church for the last five years and it's all the same girls and you've asked couples around there to try and help matchmake you and nothing's happening, go to a church who will help you. Go, go find older couples or friends who are married who will help you to get married. That is how you can be proactive in finding suitable girls to you is go and put yourself in positions where there's different groups of girls. Don't stay in the same place and just hope that she'll fall across your path. And then once you do find these girls, go see who their couple is that's mentoring them or their parents and go have dinner with all of them. Have game nights, be in public around them, see how they are in public and obviously have boundaries. You know, you don't want to invest into a girl longer than you need to. So put, put a three month boundary on it. I'm going to learn everything I can about this girl in three months. And then if she's not good for me, if I'm not good for her, then praise God, God bless you, move on. I think a lot of Christian guys are afraid of like, well, I've dated three girls now that I've got a stigma attached to me that I'm, I date around. That's fine. Just don't do it for years at a time. Don't be a serial long-term dater. Be a short-term dater who looks through his options. And then once you find a good option that you like, you're attracted to her, she's willing to be helpful to your mission. You've met her family. Praise God, get married, start a family. I uh, hope that's helpful for you guys. I know it's skimming a lot of things. So might have to do some more videos just on some more specific things. Yeah, I was going to say, if there's any specifics you want Scott to go into, you can just put them in the comments section or I'll put our email below if it's more mm -hmm. of a personal question. Praise God. God bless you guys. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can support our channel by leaving a review on Apple Podcast, or if you would like to purchase from our shop, our website is home with kelly k-e-l-l-i dot c-o we have organic rooibos that we bring in from scott's home country of south africa it is a delicious no caffeine tea loose leaf it is so good iced or warm and i also have some vintage home goods in the shop and i make some hand bound journals which are also available we hope that everything that we share is an encouragement and a blessing to you and your family